Hello everyone, this is Karin Takar and welcome to the Zenergy Podcast. Over the past decade, India has done an impressive job of integrating renewable energy into its energy mix. For this Fulbright podcast series, I sought to investigate the enabling factors and potential of India's global leadership in renewable energy with the focus on solar. This Fulbright series is broken down into four seasons. In this season, through conversations with leaders who have been instrumental in developing the renewable energy sector, we will also explore what these leaders believe the key challenges to be as this sector further develops. In this episode, we will be speaking with Claire Johnson, a co-founder of Sun Edison, which at its peak had a market capitalization of $10 billion and more than 7,000 employees. Sun Edison is largely attributed as the pioneer of the U.S. solar industry. In this conversation, we discuss the origin story of Sun Edison, the solar as a service and pay as you use model, which it pioneered, and some of Ms. Johnson's key learnings during it all. I hope you enjoy our conversation. Claire, I really appreciate you taking the time to speak with me. Been very excited for this interview. And for my research, I was extremely happy as someone who grew up in Maryland and is a Marylander at heart to learn that Sun Edison, which is largely considered as the pioneer company of the U.S. solar space, was founded here in Maryland. And I'd just like to hear if you could please tell us like the extent of your involvement in the renewable energy industry today, what led you to want to work in solar and how you initially got involved in co-founding Sun Edison. Could you just provide a brief background for those of us? Sure, that was a lot of questions, but I'm happy to answer. Yeah, and happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So uh, why Maryland Uh, first? So I went to business school, Was uh, had worked at Enron prior to business school, had planned to go to Enron after business school, but there was no Enron to go back to. So I actually wound up at Constellation Power Source at the time that was based in Baltimore. Um, it's there, here where I live today, that I met my husband and uh, here that I met Jigger Shaw through a mutual friend. So Jigger was at VP Solar and I was at Constellation Power Source and Jigger had this awesome idea for a power purchase agreement, which is you put solar on somebody's roof that, you know, that somebody staples or Whole Foods doesn't own the panels. Somebody else who has the tax need does and the staples or the Whole Foods buys the electricity from the solar panels on the roof. At the time, that was a really creative, unique idea because most people looked at us and said, why would I put 3,000 holes in my roof in something that I don't even own? But it really you know, helped expand the entire solar energy industry. And so why Maryland is simply because Jigger was based in, in uh, Maryland. He was actually living in DC, working in um, Frederick and Linthicum. And I was in Baltimore working at Constellation Power Source. And I said, I will quit my job the day after you quit yours. And that was uh, November 2nd, I think, 2003. And then we went from there uh, to answer your question about why solar. So in the early 2000s, uh, you know, you have to think back, wind was relatively new, solar was 
very new. And by new, I don't mean, you know, it's not a new technology. It's actually a very old technology, but it was starting to get commercialized and yet it was still very expensive. So, you know, one of the things that did start happening in the early 2000s is that our rates were continuing to go up, our electricity rates were continuing to go up, but panel prices were starting to go down. And there were a number of rebates and subsidies available. And so Sun Edison was, you know, at the right place at the right time with the right people and the right tools to make that successful. So, you know, we were getting $4.50 a watt rebates from the state of California when we were first starting our company and charging $9 a watt for our solar systems. Um, you know, which is just unheard of in today in 2021, but that was what, you know, helped precipitate the growth of the energy of the solar energy industry, along with accelerated depreciation and tax benefits. Um, so that's why we got involved in solar. We were kind of at the right place at the right time with a really interesting and creative financial structure. And remind me of the third question. Uh, no, I think you answered the questions. Um, okay, those are the great. primary two. I appreciate that. And okay, great. Also, at the time, the concept of a PPA did not exist. Is that right. correct? Yeah. And so how were you able to convince the early customers to install solar systems? I think I read Whole Foods was yep. like the first customer. So can That's you walk correct. us through like how sure. that process to convince them culminated. Thank you. Sure. Yeah. Some of it's just brute force, right? So Jigger and I knew some of the, you know, some of the employees at at Whole Foods. And at the time, Whole Foods wasn't really buying renewable energy. I mean, it was very early. Um, and, you know, it was talking to senior level managers at Whole Foods and talking to individual, um, you know, managers of individual buildings. So the first solar system we installed was I think 122 kilowatts DC in Edgewater, New Jersey. And that was installed in 2004. And it did take a lot of time and effort to try to get Whole Foods to be convinced that, you know, a company run by just a couple early thirties punks had an idea that was interesting enough and creative enough. And, you know, really they were getting solar panels put on their roof made by BP Solar. They, so there was, you know, that backing, knowing that the panels were good. We had con contractors who were well-known contractors in the area make the installation of the panels. And the big thing that needed, you know, that Whole Foods needed convincing on was, well, there were a couple things. One, you know, somebody's going to put a bunch of holes in my roof I don't have to pay for the solar panels. I can just buy the electricity from the solar panels. But is the installation going to happen and, and be done well was one of the big things. And then two, you know, how can I can be convinced that utility rates aren't going to increase? You know, or, or, I mean, or, you know, are, I'm sorry, how can I be convinced that, you know, whatever the power purchase agreement price is, is going to be lower than whatever my utility rate in the future is for the next 20 years? And that's really hard to be able to prove. But basically, we said, we're going to fix your utility rate for the solar power that you're buying that's on your roof. So Whole Foods was our first, but I actually think our first signed contract was with Staples. And with both of those companies, we really needed a champion at those companies. At Staples, it was Mark Buckley. Um, and at uh, Whole Foods, it was a guy named Lee Kane. And they really were influencers at their companies. Um, 
had been at the companies for a very long time and said, you know, it's worth trying this idea out. Worst, worst off, it fails. We have the panels on our roof. They're not going to come take the panels off and we're going to get electricity at a lower rate than what we think is going to be the rates in the future. So that's how we started. But it took, I mean, it was not an, not an easy sell and it took a very long time. Yeah. So um, just to clarify, with regards to the PPA model, was it that mm -hmm. essentially the staples or the Whole Foods would simply be buying the electricity? And then who would be the owner of the solar system? Yep, it was the investor. So Goldman Sachs or whoever our initial investor was that paid for the panels. And the way that they got their economics back is you would say, okay, I'm gonna put our, my upfront capital down. And then I know I'm going to get a 50% maker's accelerated depreciation. So I'm going to be able to depreciate the value of that, um, that commodity, that product over the next six years. And I'm going to get the tax additional um, federal tax credit from it. And then I'm going to get the future stream of cash flows from Whole Foods or Staples. And so it was that investor that had to do that economic analysis to say, I believe that Staples or Whole Foods is credit worthy for the next 20 years, that they're going to pay their bills and that, you know, that this program, federal program is going to exist so that I can continue to get my accelerated depreciation and my tax benefits. Very interesting. So yeah. no other solar companies at the time were executing on these PPA agreements. I think I read that at some point early on in the Sud Edison journey, the version 32 of the contract, which maybe was this like innovative financial PPA model got leaked to the market. And then other solar companies were able to like start incorporating this innovative financial contract. Is that true? Or is that just I've never that heard that story, but it's entirely possible. It's true. I mean, I'm, I okay. am confident that our contract got leaked at some point and I am more than confident that there were at least 32 versions because I worked on a bunch of them. <laughs> and I mean, it was a complicated contract, right? Because it's a 20 year contract at a fixed rate, but you have to think about renewable energy credits and accelerated depreciation and what's going to happen over the next 20 years. And what are you talk, doing with operations and maintenance and measurement and verification? And do, you know, do, does the building have Wi-Fi? What happens if the inverter shuts off because there's some sort of power you know, fault in the electrical grid, who's going to turn the inverter back on. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, pretty technical and financial details that needed to get worked out. So did it get leaked? I'm sure. I don't know if it was that version or not, but I mean, we were trying to sell to every fortune 500 company in the country. I mean, one of the ones I spent several years on that we didn't end up selling was Ikea in Emeryville, California. And we never got to, you know, fruition with Ikea. And of course, now they have solar panels installed by one of our competitors, but it was, it was not, I mean, it was very early days and people didn't really understand solar and they didn't know that, you know, even if it doesn't move, it's going to produce energy and they didn't understand what it looked like or how it was going to really benefit them. It was a long time ago. And so there was a lot for the industry to learn. And there was a lot for us to learn about how to sell to the industry. Was it one of those situations where once you were able to convince like the first few customers, then it just became significantly easier. It became we significantly to... easier through time. Yeah. And certainly, I mean, our business strategy was find a Staples or a Whole Foods or a Kohl's 
or a target that has hundreds of stores and then offer our PPA in as many states as possible. But a lot of what I worked on was portfolio diversification and, and expanding to new markets, right? So, I mean, which new markets do you go into? We started in California and New Jersey at the time. But, you know, one of the things about government risk and regulatory risk is it's quite binary. You get a new governor or you get some new administrator that doesn't like solar and all of a sudden your rebate program's gone and you have to go to a new state. So you know, spent a lot of time trying to get us into Connecticut and into Massachusetts and into all the markets that everybody knows about now, but there was not a renewable energy credit market at the time. And so we had to create the first solar renewable energy credit contracts. So yeah, a lot of work. Yeah, that's another like super interesting fact that I found while I was engaging in research for this discussion was that Sun Edison at one point in time had 50% of the whole country's sun, like solar regulatory affairs staff working for the company? Uh, that's probably true, 05, 06. That's probably right, maybe 07. I, I mean, I don't, I, that's ancient history now, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, we had a big regulatory affairs staff because a lot of what we did was going, entering and creating new markets. It was, it was not just entering new markets, but creating new markets where there was a renewable portfolio standard with a solar carve out. What would that process look like? You'd reach out to the state government and then you would maybe point to some like regulatory um, like proposals that were in place in California and you'd show this is what we're doing here. We think this would help your state or can you expand a little bit on how that would look like? Sure. Yeah. Uh, I mean, of course, every state's different. So it would be the Public Service Commission or the Department of Environmental Protection or, you know, a variety of different entities. And yes, I mean, it was exactly that. We'd have to go in and say, Here's the Solar Energy Industry Association. It couldn't just be Sun Edison. It was a coalition of people, you know, Tom Lydon from PowerLight. There's a lot of people we worked with over the years who were working together as a solar coalition to try to build a solar market. And it was talking to lots of legislators and, and regulators about how to create a renewable portfolio standard, why a solar carve out was important, how many jobs would be created, how the federal tax credit worked, would there be a state tax credit, explaining to them what a solar renewable energy credit is and how to create a market for that. And certainly some states were easier to work with than others. I mean, it took years, years to, <laughs> to create markets and it's you know still in process in some states, um, you know, 16 years later. So, um, you know, but, but as with, with finding customers, once the first five, 10, 20 states are doing something, it's much easier to join on. Yeah, I'm just trying to put myself in like your shoes and the shoes of the other co-founders. And like, how were, were you guys very optimistic that it's going to work <laughs> out? Because I feel like it required a lot of legwork simply to even just get a few customers because you have to go through the government and you have to go through the customer and like what yeah. are you very optimistic or like what can you point to that like allowed you guys to just push through and establish these markets yeah i get asked this question yeah i get asked this question a lot i mean i think sure every entrepreneur has to by default be uh, optimistic, right? I mean, I, I 
today, you know, looking back from now that it's May of 2021 and I invest in early stage companies, you know, and lots of different industries, you have to be an optimist if you're an entrepreneur, right? You're trying to create something new that doesn't exist, whether it's a software as a service platform or a technology or a platform, you know, whatever it is, you have to believe that somebody wants what you're creating. So you have to be an optimist. But I also think it was having the right team at the right time with the right tools in our toolbox. So, I mean, I really feel very strongly, and I talk about this a lot with people, is, you know, just gathering as many tools as you can in your toolbox. So when an opportunity arises, you have the right tool to take advantage of it. Um, and so, yes, of course it was hard. And of course there were many times when we thought we were going to run out of money. Um, and, you know, second mortgages on houses and, you know, all sorts of things and, you know, eating a lot of peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and not paying ourselves for a bunch of years. I mean, that's often what happens with entrepreneurs. Um, but, you know, there were enough positive things that were going on along the way. We, you know, started the company and then got our first round of project financing from Goldman Sachs in June of 2005. Um, so I had, you know, the entire staff of Sun Edison at my wedding in August of 2005, because there were only four of us at the time <laughs> and their wives, um, and, and now my husband. And, um, you know, there were enough good points that we knew how to move forward. So was Goldman already investing in the solar space at this time or was Sun Edison the first company that they I, invested in? I believe we were the first, but certainly not the last. I mean, they're certainly investing in lots of things. They were, we were invested in by the Goldman Special Situations Group, which sounds like secret spy stuff, but is basically, you know, trying to find tax advantages. Um, and Goldman, you know, charged us... 17.65% for their project financing, which today is, you know, laughable, but at the time it was very highly risky and, you know, you had to pull off a bunch of pieces altogether. So, yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a, it was a trip. Do you remember, like, can you point to any times like early on where you just look back and you're like, that's when we sort of made it and things just got significantly easier after that point in time. And like how long in that journey um, since like starting to that point, would you say you could like, you were more secure? Sure. I mean, signing those first contracts with Staples and Whole Foods, foods were huge, as was getting an initial investment, equity investment, you know, in, in our company, not in our projects by Jesse Fink at Mission Point Capital. He believed in us and he, thought we had a there there. And he was, um, he was incredibly influential and a real, um, he's a real reason why I'm doing what I'm doing now, which is supporting early stage investors as they grow their companies. I mean, I think it's, you know, it's, it's a tool in your toolbox. I mean, but it's having people around you who are really um, brilliant entrepreneurs that are giving you advice and making sure you're making good decisions. Interesting. And so I know there are four co-founders and as someone who's young and potentially like starting um, to go on this path of sustainable energy and thinking about maybe starting a company and thinking about whether like one can go on this journey alone or whether working with other people and like bringing on co-founders is the right way to go. What are your thoughts? 
on that? Yeah. Yeah. So I am a big fan of collaborating. I, you know, I think everybody's a little bit different, but I, I learn a lot by working with other people. I really strongly believe that the way to make a good company is to have people with different viewpoints. Um, and I do strongly believe that you need someone who is an influencer and a visionary, and you also need someone who's an operator. There's actually a really good book called Rocket Fuel by Gina Wickman and Mark Winters, which is about that concept. That, you know, the combination of two people, one who's the influencer visionary person and one who's the operator execution person that makes things successful. And Jigger is certainly a visionary and I am definitely an operator executor. And I think that that combination was really important. Um, you know, being a CEO or being a founder is a really lonely, it can be very lonely, right? You're responsible for everything. And there's a lot of times when people say no to you, whether it's, you know, you're trying to get money or you're trying to develop a partnership or whatever it is. And so I, I'm a big fan of working with other people. And I honestly can't think of a company that has been successful where it's just one person that's starting it. Um, I do think, you know, being a CEO requires different skills at different stages of the company also. You know, I think, you know, it boils down to, our, you know, being a good manager, knowing how to delegate well. A lot of CEOs who start their companies are terrible delegators. They really, they don't trust anyone else. They think they can do everything better than everyone else can. And that's simply not sustainable, right? If your company gets bigger, you by default can't do all of the stuff you did before. And so I find that CEOs often are terrible delegators and that they need to learn how to do that or they need to step aside. So, I mean, we could have a very long conversation about this and there's tons of business school case studies about it. But I mean, if you're asking me, would I start a company on my own in the future? No, I would want a business partner, hands down. And I know we only have a few minutes left. I have two final questions um, along yeah. the same lines. One of them is, so if you could go back in time or give one piece of advice to you and the, the founding team initially at Sun Edison, just now that you have a lot more experience. And is there anything specific that you would like, like say to your younger self <laughs> at that time yeah. period? Yeah, I love that question. So a couple things. One, I would have stuck up for myself personally a lot more. Um, I think oftentimes the loudest voice is the one that gets whatever he or she wants. And the loudest voice isn't necessarily the right voice. It's just the loudest voice. So I think um, sticking up for myself, I would have done much better and the company could have done much better. Um, that would be one. And then number two, I, you know, it's, it's a hard way to, it's hard to say it, but I just think, you know, humility and listening is really, really important. <laughs> and finding really good mentors who are not just mentors, but they're people who are supporting you along the way, which is what a mentor is, but also like a decision maker who can help make sure that you're making the right partnerships and developing the right relationships, which I think we did a pretty good job at, at Sun Edison, but I think listening more and, you know, communicating more with more people would have helped. Yeah. Thank you so much for that. And now just my final question. Um, so obviously the solar industry has changed 
a lot since um, Sun Medicine was founded. And now I feel like I want to hear your thoughts on whether like you think it is a good time to start a company like Sun Edison today in terms of like, is the macro environment um, favorable for solar companies today? If someone were to get involved in that space, do you think today is a good time um, for the solar industry no. to start a company? And why or why not? I don't think it's a good time. Yeah, I don't think it's a good time to start a, a solar development company. There are hundreds, thousands of them. I think that I looked it up. There's at least a hundred just in the state of Maryland. So it's becoming a commodity business, which is wonderful. That's exactly what I would have dreamed, you know, in 2003 when we were starting this company. I mean, solar has expanded beyond our wildest dreams, which is fantastic. But I would not start a new solar developer now today because, you know, you're talking at talking about single cents per watt and who can get, you know, who can convince the authority having jurisdiction to give you more land. And you know, it's just, it's a very complicated business and it's a very, um, very competitive business today. Um, and it, it's just, it's simply a commodity. And certainly there's a lot of people who are making money in it now. So I wouldn't create another solar development business. No, I would go work for one of the myriad of businesses that exist today. <laughs> are there any, like, is there any space to create company in the solar industry more generally, like not necessarily as a solar developer, but maybe as a company that serves the industry? And if so, like what would your thoughts be on which area? Sure. I mean, sky's the limit, right? I mean, there's always new technology to, to be developed. I mean, the, the panels that we use today are really not dramatically different from the panels we used 30, 50 years ago. I mean, they've obviously gotten more efficient and they've gotten much cheaper, but the tech, the base technology is really pretty similar uh, for the, you know, for a very long time, but there's, there's tons of companies that are working on inverters and making inverters more efficient. There's grid interoperability tools now that are really interesting. There's working the inner workings between batteries and solar and microgrids and, you know, your electric vehicle charging your solar panels and vice versa and the interaction between our utilities and microgrids. There's, you know, electric vehicle bus, you know, buses. There's so many things that are going on. I, I think, um, you know, solar panels in water is really interesting, right? And how you're getting, um, I mean, there's there's just so many really interesting things. And then the, the services that provide, you know, that are providing things to the solar industry, project finance tools that make project financing easier, you know, in different platforms. I mean, sky's the limit. The solar industry is here and it's growing and it's going to continue to grow. And there's lots of exciting things going on. Thank you so much for your time, Claire. Yeah. I really appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed that episode and do check out the show notes for more information on my guest. See you next time.